good to see you all this morning. Thanks for being here. We're, uh, we're in week two of a series called Harvesting Healthy Habits. And so we kicked off this, this idea last week that, that there are some, some practices in our life that if we can, if we can kind of reorient our, our, our day-to-day behaviors, some, some, some areas in which we can spend some additional focus and time and effort that we believe that we can just have an overall healthier experience in this life that, that, that we're kind of walking through, particularly on this journey of faith. And I think that God has a lot to say about how we conduct our lives in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him. And so we're trying to point out some of the things that, that trip us up from that. So last week we talked about how when we're unintentional, when we kind of just go with the flow and walk our way through life with this lack of awareness that we end up stumbling because there's a, a lack of intentionality and we never really grow when we walk without an intentionality. And so we talked about that last week. If you weren't here, you're welcome to check that out on, on YouTube or Facebook. All of our stuff is there where you can go back and catch up with us during this, whatever series we're in. And honestly, as long as YouTube goes, as far as it goes back for videos for us, you can find all the videos from our sermon series there. Uh, this week, I wanted to talk about the, the, the trap, the, the stumbling block of comparison. And I want to do that through the lens of two scriptures, and so we'll jump right in uh, with some scripture today. We're going to read two sections of scripture, one from the New Testament, one from the Old, and we're going to draw some applications from both. Let's read these together. Hebrews chapter 12, not together, you don't have to read it like you did with Pastor Quentin. I'm going to read, y'all just listen for a minute. There's a lot to read, and I wanna, I'll, I'll handle that for us. Uh, Roman, or Romans, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Did you know that? That God has a race that is set before every one of those who follow him, there's a, there's a path, there's a race that's set before you. We do this, we run this race that's set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So that's what Hebrews has to say. Look with me now at the story, a portion of the story of the life between Saul and David. First Samuel chapter 18, verses five through nine. Samuel said, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced with joy, or for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul 
kept a jealous eye on David. And when we see these two passages scripturally in parallel, what we see is that we are called to run the race that is set before us by keeping our eyes on Jesus. However, Saul kept his eye not on his heavenly father, but on David. Did you know that it is really difficult to run your race when you've got your eyes on somebody else that's running their race? How many, how many of you in here like to work out? Show of hands, be honest. Come on, where's my, where's my, where are my healthy people? All right. Cool. All right, there's, there's, our, there's our workout people. Uh, how many of you hate to work out? Just to despise it? All right, cool. These are my people. I can preach to y'all. The rest of y'all, you're dismissed. You, you're the leave. But matter, as a matter of fact, run home. I hate working out. I hate it. I absolutely despise. I've tried it so many times in my life. I do well for a while and I give it up because I absolutely hate it and when I do even when I do work out I much prefer like the I, I like to pick have, pick up everything and set them down like I, I like to lift but I hate cardio I hate the cardio I hate to run run for fun like I hate to run I hate it and the older that I get and the slower my metabolism goes and the more of this that just gets I know that the only way to get rid of this is to run and I hate cardio. Now, I haven't been in the gym for a while. It's been a minute. It's been a while. I'm, I'm in a bad, so I'm waiting for the beginning of the new year to go when everybody else goes. You know what I mean? But when I did, when I did partic participate in the cardio, the only way, the only way that I could do cardio, I used to come here to the Y and I did to get on the elliptical or I get on the treadmill. The only way that I could make myself do it was if I secretly competed with the person that was next to me. So I would find, a, I always try to look for like an older person uh, on a treadmill that was going kind of slow, and then I'd get next to them, and when they weren't looking, I'd kind of peek over to see what speed they were on, and then I'd set my mind to the same speed, plus one, because I got to win. That's what we, we're Americans. That's what we do. We win. We go to the Olympics. We win. That's what we do. Like, we're going to race. They didn't know we were racing, but in my head, it was a race. And so I would not quit. I wouldn't stop until they stopped, and then I'd turn mine up to the highest speed that I could and sprint, because you got to sprint to the finish, you know what I mean? And then I get done, I'm like, yes! I didn't do that in there, because that'd be kind of weird. But that's the only way that I could make myself participate in cardio is if I was competing with somebody else. I'm theologically opposed to working out. I hate it. I think I have biblical evidence, biblical mandate that we're not supposed to work out. And you say, Brian, how is that even, in, how is that even theological? Well, here's the deal. Uh, I have a verse. Because in Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Right? Like, you can't be naked and unashamed unless you got it going on. But there were no gyms in Genesis. There were no ellipticals in Eden. But it said that they were naked and unashamed. And the only way, that means that they had it going on. Adam had like biceps and a six-pack, right? No gyms. I believe that working out is a result of the fall. I believe that calories didn't come in until we sinned. Like, I think calories are the result of the fall of mankind. But if we're going to be in shape, if we're going to be healthy at all, right, we, we, have, we have to be conscious about how we work out. 
And my experience in the gym and my experience working out, it's funny in the gym, maybe. But it's devastating in life. You can't run your race by keeping your eyes on what someone else is doing. So let me ask you this question. Who, who have you set your eyes on that isn't Christ? Who is who have you fixed your eyes on instead of Jesus and you're running your race compared to what they're doing instead of what God has called you to do? Because here's the truth. You can, if you're a note taker, you can scribble this down. Comparison? Comparison is the number one destroyer of destiny. It's awful. It's what, it's what got the devil kicked out of heaven. It's what got Satan kicked off the praise and worship team for heaven, right? Like that's, like, that's what it was. He compared himself to the one that he was intended to glorify, but he began to compare himself to God, and not being God was jealous, and it was his jealousy and his comparison of where he stood in his relationship with God that got him kicked out of heaven. Comparison is poison. It, it eats at us on the deepest levels of who we are. And not only that, it's just unwise. Comparison is antithetical to wisdom. When, when the Apostle Paul was approached by all of these men that had a lot to say about his credentials and, and who, who is he to be talking to us about the way that we do things or whatever. So as he wrote to the church at Corinth in his, in his second letter to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul said this. He said, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant, how, how unwise, how ignorant is it of us to look at those who are running a similar race to us in this human, that's why they call it the human race maybe i don't know that's not really true that's right but it's, it, 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 it at least seems coincidental to me right that, that, that it is a race for us and if we compare ourselves to other people then we've missed the call of god on our own life as a matter of pastor robert madu said it this way he said comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of god's call on your life that's pretty good stuff. I'm going to run it back. Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. If you ever want to be confused about what God has called you to do, start comparing yourself to what God has called someone else to do. There is a call on the life of every follower of Christ. Here at Fusion City Church, we teach that there is the priesthood of every believer, that every single follower of Christ has been given a purpose by God where you live, learn, work, and play to be the gospel presence where you are. And God has specifically crafted and designed you to fit and to grow where you are planted. God has a call for your life, whether you're a full-time vocational paid religious professional or not. You don't have to be a pastor to be called. 
God has a call on the life of every believer. And if you want to miss your call, then start comparing yourself to the call of God on someone else's life. Calling doesn't have to be your career. Career is what you get paid to do. Calling is what you were made to do. It's what, how God made you and crafted you so that you could be exactly what he needed you to be, exactly where you live, learn, work, or play. And here's the thing. God has uniquely gifted and provided you with everything you need to be successful in the call that he has placed on your life. He's given it all to you. There's nothing that God has left that he wouldn't call you to, to it and not provide everything that you need. But when you begin to compare your calling and your giftedness to somebody else's, you miss the specific mission that God has for your life and the call that he's given specifically to you. But we have to stop complaining to the master about the pieces that we didn't get. We have to stop complaining to the one that, that designed us about, well, I wish I was more like them. I wish I could do what they do, or I, can't, or I could never do what they do. Well, you're not called to do what they do. God has a call for your life, a purpose for your life, for your ministry, for your position. Wherever you are, God has specifically placed you there. It doesn't matter if you can't preach like Pastor Brian or sing like Pastor Jonah or, or lead like Pastor Quentin. None of those things, you're not called to those things. But you are called to do what God has uniquely positioned you to do. And when we, when we see ourselves, when we become jealous or when we compare ourselves to other people, when we think more about what they have than what I have and I wish I was more alike and I wish I could have and I wasn't given all the things that they were given. And you know what jealousy is? Jealousy is really just a discontent with God. You can write that down. Jealousy expresses a discontent with God. How dare he give them something that he should have given to me? When you run while looking side to side instead of ahead, there's a crash in your future. And that's exactly what happened to King Saul. Saul had a terrible crash. You read through the Old Testament, Saul, had, he, he, he fell off the deep end big time. But he didn't start there. Saul was the first king of Israel. The Bible says that he looked like a king. The Bible said he was good looking. Come on, y'all. You know you're good looking if the Bible says that you were good looking. It says that Saul was, he was handsome. He was tall in stature. You have to be careful with the blessings of God. Because when the brightness of the blessing blinds you from the blesser, it's become a curse. That's what happened to Saul. Saul became more concerned with being king instead of keeping his eyes on the king. He became more concerned with his position than he was with God's presence. But there was this young kid out in the field. 
All he cared about was God's presence. Just out in the field, watching sheep with his harp, singing love songs to God. And there's one day, David's in the field doing whatever he was supposed to do that his father commissioned him. And he gets a text message from his dad and says, hey, your brothers are out at the, at the battle and uh, they need some food. So could you like, run some sandwiches out to your brothers? And so David does. He, he, he gets his message from his dad to take food to his brothers. And he gets out there. And the whole nation of Israel is on this one side of the, of the battleground and the, the, the Philistine army on the other side. And there's this giant out in the middle taunting the nation of Israel to send them a champion to challenge him. And all of the nation of Israel is shaking in their armor. David gets to the battlefield to bring the food to his brothers. And he hears the taunts of, of this, this Philistine towards the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. And I love David's response. David said... Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that taunts the nation of God? That's, that, David was gangster because that's Christian cussing, right? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David said, somebody needs to knock him out. Mama said, knock him out. I'm going to go knock him out. Hey, somebody tell me what you get for knocking him out. And they said, oh, you knock him out, you get to marry the king's daughter. And you get to be the commander. You don't have to pay taxes anymore, right? David's like, I'm going to go knock this fool out. And that's exactly what he did. No taxes. I get to marry the king's daughter. I'm in for that. I got this. And so he yells back at Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Gangster. And when Goliath hit the ground, David rose up. It was a divine moment. David was catapulted from some obscure shepherd in a field to to prominence among the nation of Israel. You got got people uh, putting, they got kids putting posters of David on their wall, right? Like like the David action figure. David killed Goliath with with, with a smooth stone and all of a sudden he's a rock star. Because it was a, because it was a rock. Y'all yeah, lost some dad jokes. Y'all got to get over it. David killed Goliath. Goliath. The trumpet sounded in the fat lady song. It was over. Well, not a fat lady, but a group of ladies. And this was their song. Saul kills by the thousands. David by his tens of thousands. Saul didn't like what they were singing. So when, he, when Saul heard this, he went from running his race to keeping his eye on David. And he's, like, he's a case study for the downward spiral as the result of comparison. And comparison is the beginning of the end because it, because it makes you a but-me person. 
So concerned with yourself. Well, I see what they're doing, but, but, but me, what about me? Like, I see God blessing David, but, but where's my notoriety? Where's my presence? Where's my authority? But me people see everything through the perspective of them. And here's the big problem. But me people can't celebrate a victory for anybody else. Because it's all about them. And nothing will blind you from who Jesus is quicker than a but me attitude. And I'll tell you that I think social media has absolutely changed the game when it comes to comparison. We have this 24 hours a day, seven day a week access to the successes and the victories and the accomplishments of everybody else. And it's become a mirror to us of all that we don't have and all that we have yet to accomplish or all that somebody else has that we don't. And it's really easy to become a but me person in the world of social media. I wonder if the screens on our phones and our tablets and our computers have kind of become like the, the, the magic mirror in, in the story of Snow White with the evil stepmother, right? Like mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? It was, it was a comparison thing for her. But for us, I wonder if it's not mirror, mirror, but if it's Instagram, Instagram, tell me who I really am. Or Facebook, Facebook, show me how my life should look. As long as we're comparing ourselves to other people, you're going to miss it. So here's my, here's my challenge. We have got to learn to celebrate the, the, the joys and the victories and the successes of other people just like we celebrate our own. Stop trying to be somebody that you're not. There's a race set before you. There's a calling for you. And it's specific to you. I am a terrible Andy Stanley. I'm a, I'm a terrible John Piper. I am a terrible Jonah Boston and a terrible Quentin Long. But I am the best Brian Duncan you will ever see and ever meet because that's who I am. And that's who God has called me to be. And I'm different than all of those other people. And I'm telling you, I get caught up in the comparison stuff too. I get it. I do. I look at what other pastors are doing and what they're, what they're accomplishing. And so I'm not, but what about, but me? What about me? Why can't we be the church that does? It, it can't be that. It can't be that for us, and it can't be that for you. So here's the habit that I'm going to call and challenge each of us to today, and you can write this down. Make a habit of celebrating the goodness of God in and toward other people. 
Start celebrating them the same way you celebrate yourself. I would say do this publicly, right? We've got social media. It can be a curse when we look at it and find all the things that we're not. But it can also be a great and wonderful tool to help us change the narrative as it pertains to comparison. Imagine if we just this week uncaused, right? Just for, for no reason whatsoever, pick somebody that you admire or somebody that has done something and like just this this just pleasant and wonderful for them and just put a put a put a post out take a picture put it on Instagram do send a message do something to celebrate the goodness of God in somebody's somebody else's life unprovoked unsolicited just do it for the fun of it do it to celebrate how good God has been to somebody else or how or something that someone else has accomplished we uh, I had an opportunity to, to practice this uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We had a, a student show up at, uh, at, at our student ministry on Sunday evening, and I, I know their parents. And I just enjoyed having them in, having them in the ministry for that week. And so I just, I just sent, I sent his parents a, a, a Facebook message. I, I didn't have a text for both of them, so I sent them a, a joint Facebook message. I said, hey, look. And parenting is, is tough and it's hard and it's difficult and none of us ever feel like we're getting it right all the time. But, but I want you to know I, I enjoyed the time that, that I got to spend in conversation with your son. And I just wanted to give out some par- parental kudos to you guys and say, I think you're doing a great job. He's a great kid. I, n- nobody asked me for that. And, and I wasn't trying to get anything from it. It was just me trying to, to, to celebrate the, the successes of somebody else. I don't need to compare myself to them as parents and try to be, I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm an awful parent because they're a good parent. It wasn't that. It was just, hey, you've, you've done something. Some, you got something right somewhere. And I just wanted to say, well done. And I, can you imagine with me, just kind of take yourself out of, the, out of the moment and think about this on a, on a collective level. If all of us get this right, if all of us are able to, to walk this out collectively as a church, there's a hundred or so of us, can you imagine how awesome it would be if there was a culture among us and all of our friends that every time we see them do something right or have some success that we just send a text message or a social media message and say, hey, well done, man. Just let, let, let me applaud you. I'm like, I'll be your cheerleader for all that you're trying to do and all that you're accomplishing and all, this, all that you're getting right. I want to tell you, man, I see it. I recognize it. And I think it's awesome. Do you know how much the competitive nature and the comparison, comparison culture would decrease if we became a culture of people who celebrate the successes of others instead of comparing ourselves to them and all that we don't have? And here's the thing. There's a race that's set before you and the only way that you can run it successfully and complete it with honor and dignity is to fix your eyes on Jesus. So that's what we've got to do. Do you know why we share prayer requests? Every, every one of our connect groups and even as a church, we, do you know why we share our requests with one another? Why we ask other people to pray with us about something that we're going through or something that we're dealing with or something that we're celebrating? Do you know why we do that? 
because it gives us an opportunity to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of somebody else. When we're praying about somebody that's sick and they get healed, not only do the people who are most closely, or them or the people closely connected to them, get to celebrate that God healed and God restored, but we get to celebrate with them that God healed and that God restored. And the increase of their faith gets, gets mimicked by the increase of my own faith. Because I'm not in competition with that person. I care about that person and I'm celebrating what God is doing in their life. We have got to make a habit of celebrating the goodness of God, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people as well. That's why we pray for one another. To be a source of comfort when things don't go the way we want to and to be a a magnifier and a multiplier of joy when they do. You can't do that if you're in comparison. You can't do that if you're in competition. You can't do that if you're trying to mimic your life after what somebody else got that you didn't. You can't do it. But if you make a habit out of celebrating the lives of other people, you can watch comparison and competitiveness just fade. It's happened for me in everywhere but the gym. But until then, I'm going to do the best that I can to celebrate what God is up to, not just in my life, but in all of yours and every other person that I can see. And I'm going to try to make a habit daily, if I can, of encouraging somebody else by just saying, man, I see you. And I appreciate what you're doing, the effort that you're giving, and the results that we're seeing. Like, I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to you, and I'm not in competition with you. I just want to celebrate the goodness of God in your life because he's good to you just like he's good to me. And your race is different than mine. So if you... If you are a thousand links ahead of me, I'm just going to cheer you on. I'm going to be your cheerleader. And I hope that you'll be mine as well. Would you pray with me? Father, it's so easy in the culture where we exist in this moment of time to allow ourselves to get caught up in what everybody else is doing and how much more successful we believe that they are than us. And I've heard it said, and I think that it's true, God, we compare our reality to the highlight reels on social media of other people. But God, would you help us to be faithful? Help us to be faithful to the race that you've set before us, to the calling that you've given to us. And Father, would you create in us a a desire and a compulsion to celebrate your goodness, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of those that we get to witness and be bystanders of. So that, Father, we can celebrate with them, multiply and magnify your glory by celebrating your goodness in the lives of others. Father, I think if we get this right, that we'll feel the trap of comparison just melt away from our lives. God, we're not in competition. We're running this race together. So Father, help us to run it well. And we'll do the best that we can to give you all the praise and glory and honor that you're due. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us a way to do that because you've set before us the example of your son, Jesus. Father, help us to fix our eyes on him that we may run our race with endurance and in a way that honors and glorifies you. 
Father, we pray it all in his name. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. We'll be back here next week for week three of our series, Harvesting Healthy Habits. Until then, you guys have a great week.